Welcome to Motherhood Feels. Hindsight is 2020. I'm Dr. Jill Garrett, a licensed psychologist who specializes in maternal mental health and host of Motherhood Feels. Hindsight is 2020. Stay tuned for an engaging Motherhood Feels episode with seasoned mom and psychotherapist Ann Page Motley. Ann Page is a mom to five plus her two bonus children. Listen in as she talks about her personal experiences with infertility, adoption, miscarriage, high-risk and twin pregnancies, and postpartum adjustment. You'll also hear how her experiences have helped to inform her work as a licensed clinical social worker in both Virginia and Florida, where she specializes in grief, loss, trauma, and corporate mental health awareness trainings. You can learn more about Ann Page at her website, gltherapy.com. Stay tuned to hear from this bright and charismatic mom who has the remarkable ability to walk through life with optimism and positivity. Check her out next. Hey guys, it's me, Jill. Before we start, make sure to subscribe to the podcast so that you know when the next episode comes out. And apparently, giving five-star reviews is a cool thing to do, too. You can follow me on Instagram at motherhoodfeels, all one word, and head over to motherhoodfeels.com to check out my self-paced online course, Motherhood Feels, before and even after baby boot camp. It walks through evidence-based strategies for healthy coping with all your motherhood feels. The downloadable workbook that comes with the course means you'll have everything you need in one place during this busy season of life. It's perfect for expectant, new, or even seasoned moms and makes for a great baby shower gift. Thanks for listening. Hi, Ann Page. Thanks for being here. Well, thank you, Jill. I'm happy to be here. Well, tell us a little bit about yourself. Okay. Well, I am a 55-year-old mother of five. And recently married the love of my life. We got married in February. His name is Mark. I am a psychotherapist, licensed psychotherapist, specializing in grief, loss, and trauma. I have a a new puppy in my life, in our lives. And um, you'll find, and Jill, we've known each other a long time. You probably already realized this, but I'm a very positive person. I have always seen my glasses half full. And um, I I feel and I really believe that I was born that way. And so in my practice, one of the things I do is I try to help people to see that as well, to to see life that way, Um, because even in the most difficult trials that we have, and certainly pregnancy and parenting and all those good things can be trials at times, that within those trials, there's, there's good things that are happening. And so I help people to see that. That's great. I love that spin on things. And you mentioned being a mom to five and a puppy. I'll put that in there too. So tell us a rundown. Can you give us the ages of your children? Sure. 26, a boy that we adopted. Uh, 24, my second boy. He was a birth child, birthed by me. And uh, my daughter is 22. She's a, a senior in college. And lastly, a huge surprise, at 39, I gave birth to twins, identical 
boys, and they are 16. Quite a brood. And I would love to hear a bit about your process and your experience in becoming a mom. Well, it was was a long road, Jill. We went through infertility for several years in my 20s. I was told that I had stage four endometriosis and that it would be very unlikely that I would be able to even get pregnant. Um, However, we continued down the IVF trail and you know, all of the shots and the pills and histiopalsingogram and surgery at some point to remove some of the endometriosis and all unsuccessful. At 27 years old, I could not get pregnant. I had tried so many years to not get pregnant. Right. And when I was ready to finally start a family, I was unable to do so. Um, So it was a very frustrating time. But again, good things come, right? And so that's how we found our son, uh, firstborn, who's 26 years old now. His name is John, and he is absolutely a delight as a, he was as a child and certainly is as an adult now. That's amazing. And the experience of infertility obviously comes with some major challenges, not only financially and physically, but also emotionally. You described it as feeling frustrating. Uh, what else do you recall in terms of how you were coping during that time period? Well, at that point in my life, you know, being in my late 20s, all of my friends were having babies. And so I was busy going to baby showers and, you know, hosting them and being there for my friends when they gave birth. And at the time I was working in a field uh, where I was helping pregnant teenagers. Mm -hmm. I was doing social work and counseling for Um, you know, girls that got pregnant when they were a teenager. So I was working in it, you know, I was living it with all of my friends and some of my family members. So it was, um, it was really challenging because I had to try to stay positive and hopeful amidst of, you know, all of the happy times uh, that other people were experiencing that I so wanted. Yeah. So, um, so, you know, frustrating certainly is the most significant, but also anger. I was angry that I couldn't get there mm-hmm. and that, you know, everyone else seem seemingly could. Uh, I was sad that my dream of a family was not coming to fruition. And, and I was actually told it wouldn't, mm-hmm. um, physically speaking particularly after going through the full IVF process, they were able to say, you know, if you're not getting pregnant at 27 and we're doing everything possible, you know, we went through the ICSI process where they actually take the sperm and insert it into the egg itself. We did that. I mean, we did everything right and were unsuccessful that route anyway. Yeah, and obviously quite disappointing. And then to be around a social circle and a time in your life where there were all these different potential triggers and to keep having that optimism and finding that positivity sounds like it's a huge strength of yours, but doesn't mean that it takes away from all the hard feelings that I'm sure were going on at the same time. That's right. That's right. But it did teach me how to balance that. You know, you can have tough things that happen to you in life and you have to keep going and you've got to, you know, be there for other people, even when you feel 
challenged at times. Quite Um, impressive and resilient. And I'm so curious about the adoption process, which I have a feeling comes with a lot of its own stressors. Tell me a little bit about that. Yes, definitely. So, you know, having worked with the pregnant teenager, teenagers, I um, also got an opportunity professionally to work in the adoption field. So I did birth mother counseling, you know, helping them to decide what, what was right for them and their child. And then helping them to, if they chose to place their child for adoption, helping them through that process. Through that, that led me into the home study process. So I began doing adoption home studies as well. So I would work with the families that were anticipating a child and, uh, you know, going through the process of adopting a child and preparing them, legally speaking, but also emotionally for, you know, the new baby. So having had that professional experience and then, you know, going through my own personal infertility struggle, finding hope on the adoption side, uh, I was in it (laughs) fully immersed um, in the adoption piece. So um, I was open to it immediately. It wasn't a, a tough jump for me or my husband at the time. So uh, we fell right into it and pursued our son and brought him home when he was three weeks old. That's awesome. And it sounds like you definitely had a bit of an advantage in the behind the scenes aspect of it all because you knew from your professional experience a bit more about how it was going to go. And then you describe having your other children. And it sounds like those were different experiences in terms of becoming a mom again. Tell me a little bit about those. Yes, Jill. You know, every child is different. Every pregnancy is different, as you well know. I was soon to learn after we brought our son home. I bet it was not six months later I was pregnant mm. on our own. No infertility, no, no, you know, clomid, nothing. Um, just pregnant. There I was. Um, sadly, I suffered a miscarriage um, about eight weeks in, which is, you know, not unusual. Uh, I think a lot of women go through the process of a, of a miscarriage and, you know, but it, at the time it's, a, it's another very challenging, very difficult thing to, to experience. Shortly after that, I got pregnant again mm. and I miscarried again. So I kind of began to, uh, I, I didn't get numb to it, but I was kind of expecting it at that time. So I thought, well, I guess this is my new path. Mm -hmm. I'm going to be able to get pregnant, experience it for a few weeks, and then I'll lose the baby. And, you know, just kind of set myself up for that expectation. But because you know me, I still had hope. I still had hope that maybe one of those pregnancies would last. And I would have a biological child as well. And sure enough, about probably about a year after that, I did get pregnant again. And it was a challenging first 13 weeks because I bled the whole time. So uh, every day I wondered if I was still pregnant or not. I was able to purchase one of those ultrasounds that you can have at your own house. And so um, it's not a visual ultrasound, but you could hear the heartbeat. Right. So I became addicted to that thing. And, and I mean, morning, noon and night 
I wanted to make sure that he was still in there. Yeah. <laughs> because with the bleeding, you, you may not know. Turns out later, they, they were the doctors were able to tell me that they suspected that he was a twin. And that's why I was bleeding because I was losing the other uh, baby. Um, he was born. Um, it was not your dreamed of birthing situation. Yeah, he. I had gone to Lamaze and prepared, and you know, was expecting to have this beautiful experience. Uh, but my water broke unexpectedly about three weeks early before he was due. I was rushed to the hospital because he was starting to come down the birthing canal. So, uh, and he was breech. So they ended up doing an emergency C-section and he was born a healthy baby boy, just perfect in all ways. And that's his birth story. Well, it's filled with what I would imagine would be some pretty uh, significant anxiety as you're bleeding and also have experienced these losses. You found reassurance in kind of using what sounds like those Dopplers where you can get the, the heartbeat, but then getting all these updates about birth and the potential twin. And then what I think is so common is to have these expectations about how the delivery is going to go and it might not go that way. And so my sense is having an emergency C-section was not part of the plan. Yet here you are having a really nice outcome in the form of this uh, healthy baby. Mm-hmm. And, and really, I mean, isn't that what we all want? Mm-hmm. You know, it's just the healthy baby. You moved on and had other children. About two years later, I was pregnant again. And she was actually VBAC, vaginal birth after cesarean. And I wanted to do that. Mm -hmm. I wanted to experience as as closely as possible a normal birth. Yeah. And how was it? Um, I do recall there was some trauma there Mm -hmm. when she was born. Uh, She was a blue baby. She Mm. was blue. Um, I had been in labor for many, many hours. I think it was probably 12, somewhere around there. It was a long time. And I had several epidurals, which, oh, by the way, I had planned on using hypnosis Mm. for my delivery. Practiced it. I was a certified hypnotherapist. (laughs) And I was going to do this because I taught my clients the skills. And uh, yeah, that didn't work. Went out the window. So, the, you know, 12 hours of labor, you can certainly imagine, you know, I, I was uh, screaming for an epidural and I got two, I ended up having two epidurals. So, um, so when she was born, she was not breathing very well. So we had to have a respiratory therapist come in and um, help her a little bit. But she was fine after that and, you know, didn't need to go to the NICU or anything like that. Well, that's great. And then you have the twins that yes. were sounding like a quite unexpected experience. Tell me a bit about that. At uh, 39 now, <laughs> I learned that I was pregnant, which was very shocking to me just to be pregnant, period, because that was not part of the plan. Another baby was not in the plan. And uh, to be pregnant at 39 was another shocker. Mm -hmm. So you can imagine how I felt when the nurse said, well, there's two heartbeats. 
And I said, wait a minute. I have never heard of that. I've never heard of a baby having two hearts. <laughs> and she said, no, sweetie, this, this, there are two babies here and they're twins and they appear to be identical. And, you know, this is at six, six weeks pregnant, right? So I'm going, how can you say they're identical this early? And uh, she explained that with identical twins, you have one placenta. Um, and they could see the, the formation of the one placenta. And to boot, <laughs> um, they appeared to be in the same sack. So monochorionic, monozygotic. I believe is the is the term that they used. Um, they they call them Momo twins, and it puts you at a higher risk, or puts the babies at a higher risk for entanglement with the umbilical cord because there's no septum between them. So um, this in this pregnancy for me in particular was super challenging mm-hmm. emotionally because of the surprise and because of the fear of you know what could happen to them. Mm-hmm you know, during the the pregnancy. Yeah. Good news is at at about uh, 15 weeks, they found a very thin septum between them. So Mm. I could relax a little bit. Yeah. Knowing that they at least wouldn't, you know, strangle each other. So um, that was a big relief. Wow. So you've had such a diverse experience in your motherhood journey And I'm curious in your postpartum experiences with all of your different babies, how you remember feeling. I know it's been a bit of time, um, but do you recall anything that was outstanding? I was not myself. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, I, I wouldn't say that I went through depression, postpartum depression, but I went through postpartum adjustment. Yeah. And it really was. I mean, my body had changed tremendously. My hormones were out of whack. My, you know, breasts were huge and out of control. And uh, my life also seemed out of control. Right. Uh, laundry was everywhere, you know, animals when we had dogs and cats and we even had chickens at one time. Um, you know, it was just uh, like being in a storm. You know, mm-hmm. not being able to see the light or or in some cases the ground even. It was it was challenging. And I think it is, you know, underreported and under you know, people don't talk about it. It's right. not it's not something that we like to talk about because having a baby and especially after struggling as much as I did, you know, I have no right to feel this way, you know, because it's such a gift to have this baby. So I need to be happy and I need to be organized and I need to do it all the way that the books say to do it and not feel out of control and certainly not show it. Right. That's so common in what I hear, particularly when people have, like you said, endured fertility challenges and various struggles. There is this sense of, I am supposed to have it all together, which is not even a thing for anybody. (laughs) No one has it all together. Um, But it certainly makes for a bit of a risk factor for adjusting in this period of time. Right. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I can tell you uh, with my son who was adopted, and I, I always say was, 
because that's in the past. He's not adopted anymore. He's Mm -hmm. ours. When he came home, there was also a postpartum adjustment, even though I didn't physically have him. I was adjusting to the, the life as a new mother. Yeah. And, um, you know, certainly with adoption, the bonding process is a little bit different, you know, because you're just meeting each other. And, um, you know, when you have a baby biologically from your own body, the baby knows your voice, the baby knows your smell, and everything's familiar. You know, it's a familiar transition from utero to the world. In John's case, he didn't have that. He, you know, was immediately removed from his birth mother, and he actually went to a foster home for a couple of weeks because he had a couple of situations that fell through, and mm-hmm. that's why we didn't get him three until three weeks later. You know, he didn't have the the smooth transition into his mother's arms and hearing his mother's voice and all of that. He was immediately taken from that familiarity and placed in a situation which was very loving and kind and sweet, um, but it wasn't what he knew. Mm -hmm. So when he came home, he had, they called it colic, but I disagreed. I called it grief. Mm. He was missing his mother. She was gone. There was no voice, no familiar smell or sounds or, you know, experiences. It it was all new. And he cried. That baby boy cried for almost a year. Uh, He was a real challenge. And so you can imagine from my point of view as a a new mother trying to do everything right, why can't I satisfy this boy? You know, why can't I help this baby? Uh, My new baby, what's wrong with me as a parent that I can't give him enough of those gas drops to where he'll stop crying. And that's when I came to the conclusion that it wasn't that. It wasn't yeah. colic. It was uh, grief. Yeah, what a, I think a great theory to have. And also what a helpless feeling to, and kind of a powerless feeling when you have this infant who you can't seem to soothe and you're adjusting to this new mom life. I can imagine I would feel quite anxious and overwhelmed in that moment. Yes. Mm -hmm. I'm wondering as you're reflecting on all of these experiences as a seasoned mom now, looking back, what in hindsight do you think you would have liked to have known or done differently? Yeah, I think it would be different for each each baby, each human being (laughs) that's in my life. But I, I do believe one of the biggest challenges I had was that wanting to do it all right. And so I would want to be unperfect. Mm-hmm. I would practice that. Yeah. Uh, and I would practice forgiveness for myself, you know, and grace that, you know, it's okay. It's all right. If you had a bad day, it's okay. If you just couldn't stand one more hint of him screaming, yeah. you know, and feeling that frustration that you couldn't soothe him. It's okay to ask your neighbor to come over and would you please just take him for 10 minutes? I just need a breather. Um, It's okay to lean on other people um, and to ask for help. Um, It's okay to take time for yourself. In fact, that should be mandated Mm -hmm. that, you know, every mother, particularly new mother, 
has some time to her, just herself, but it should be a, you know, a ritual. Yeah. Um, this is my time. Yeah. Uh, and you can do anything you want with that. You can get your nails done. You could get a massage. You could go shopping. You could just go sit in the yard and quiet. But I think self-care is really important. And I didn't do that with any of mine. You would think I would have learned after five, right? I think it's really programmed into lots of people and lots of moms in particular to put others ahead of themselves. And part of what my mission is and some of the work I'm doing is to help normalize prioritizing self-care in a time that it really should be a necessity, not a luxury. So I, I can, I think all of those hindsight moments that you brought up are just exactly on point. Yeah. So you are a psychotherapist and a mom. And I have the sense that you have worked with and might continue to work with other moms. And I'm wondering how your own experiences have or has informed your practice. Very much so. And, you know, as a therapist, we have to remain very professional and not, we're taught not to infuse our experiences or, you know, ideas or thoughts onto our clients. And I work very hard not to do that. Yeah. Um, but there are times when it's perfectly appropriate and it's actually helpful to my clients. And so in those moments, I do break that rule. Mm-hmm. And, and and it's purely based on the client's uh, success, you know, and helping them to achieve success, whatever that might look like. So I'm very careful about that, very thoughtful. And I question myself a lot before I do it. But I do think in some cases, it's very, very helpful. Yeah. I think as a person who also works with this population and who in the past had been trained about self-disclosure as a therapist is really not ideal. I think in this population, self-disclosing the normality of the challenge of being a mom and a parent is so ideal. So that when other people we're working with are hearing, oh, okay, you're you're trained in this stuff, but you're having a bad day or you've had hard experiences. I think it just makes everybody feel more comfortable and at ease. And it's part of normalizing, you know, emotional and mental health. And, and you know, and that's another big part of my business is mental health awareness and decreasing the stigma that has been so ridiculous yeah. over the years. Um, we, you know, we don't have stigma if you break a bone, you know, you can talk about it. Ow, you know, this hurts. I broke my bone. But with mental health, you can't talk about postpartum depression. You're not supposed to talk about it. You're not supposed to talk about feeling anxious or having a panic attack. Mm -hmm. Um, So normalizing those feelings and process and mental health challenges is really important right now, especially post-COVID. Oh, yeah, for sure. And the wait times are long, unfortunately, and there are other barriers that are out there. And again, part of the work I'm doing is trying to offset some of those barriers and to kind of have opportunities like this podcast and like some of the online offerings that I've got just to kind of get to moms and uh, again, normalizing and, and prioritizing mental health. I thank you so much for sharing your wisdom as a seasoned mom, a seasoned therapist, and it's been so great to connect with you. It's great to connect with you as well, Jill. I appreciate you having me on.